We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. And let's pray together. So Lord, um, this is not a perfect church. This church does not have a perfect pastor. And I was just repenting during that song that uh, my heart was not one of rejoicing because of Christ being my greatest treasure and reward. And so, Lord, we just thank you for forgiveness of sins. And I pray, Lord, that today your people would rejoice because Christ is their hope and their glory. Lord, forgive us for seeking after our own glory, for giving other things the glory, for other people the glory. Lord, our prayer this morning is Christ alone. Would you answer that prayer? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What a great bunch of songs. Amen. Did you need that like me? Hey, if you get a chance, why don't you just thank Joe and Josh as well as their wives for just so consistently serving our church, um, coming early um, and like putting those songs in a crock pot and getting them nice and heated up for the Church of Christ to have white hot worship. So grab them and uh, tell them you appreciate them. Guys, we appreciate you. Thanks. Well, um, let's, uh, let's begin our time. Kids, you're dismissed. So if you're in the lights ministry, ages seven and lower, you can go back with the Leaper family. They've got some serious stuff planned for you, and it's going to be awesome. I saw Peter messing with jump ropes and different crafts beforehand, so uh, we're excited to hear about how it goes. Um, hey, let me just tell you a quick story, uh, because... Pretty much every student started school. Kids, how was it? Yeah, was it a good week? I've got some yeses, some noes. Uh, uh, teachers, how was it? Yeah, was it okay? Administrators, counselors, staff, moms, how was it? Um, hey, let me let me share with you one thing that happened in uh, the Lebanon High School. Uh, uh, system this week. Uh, on Thursday evening, uh, I met with some folks and we prayed for our schools. And um, um, just, uh, you, you know how the Holy Spirit works as, as you pray with other people. Um, it just was surfacing as we were praying for individuals, for staff, for teachers and things like that. Um, uh, one person prayed, Lord, I pray that a hundred students would come to Christ this year. And it was like, yes, amen, more conversions. We've been, we've been praying as a church just that we would see more people come to Christ. But for someone to pray boldly for 100, it was like, yes, all right, Lord, that's a great prayer of us. Let's, and then someone said, Lord, we pray for 20 students to come to Christ before Baptism Sunday. 
I was like, yes, I think the Lord could do that, right? And so we all just went home emboldened and like trusting the Lord for 20 students. And the next uh, day, I get a text and said, guess what? Our prayers have been answered. Um, there's 20, 20 football players that gave their life to Christ um, as a result of someone sharing the gospel at the chapel they gave their life to the Lord. And so 20 football players at Lebanon High School uh, became Christians. Isn't that great? I know. What, what a testimony to like the Lord working. Like He still works today, guys. We can still trust Him. And what a testimony to the power of prayer. I was just talking to some of you that, that went to prayer this morning at 9 a.m. And just to reaffirm and, and, and encourage you guys, like, our prayers, the Lord loves to work through his people praying. And so, Lord, Lord, thank you for answering prayers. And hey, church, continue to pray and be bold in your prayers and ask him to do great things. So let's, let's see what he does this week, shall we? So, well, hey, let's begin our time in the word this morning. We've been going through the solas. Um, we have, uh, we've learned that the Reformation was like a battlefront, and, and it was one. These theological grounds were taken, and this is called the Protestant Reformation for those who are unfamiliar with historical theology. Um, battles were won, such as um, religious freedom. That was one of the, the outworkings or the outcomes of the Protestant Reformation. And so if you enjoy that, if you woke up this morning and and put your clothes on and did your hair and came to church without even thinking about the government coming to get you. If you enjoyed that feeling, you can thank like men and women who gave their lives during this time that we would have these type of freedoms. If, um, if you like the fact that um, you woke up this morning and you came to church going, you know what? I'm not going to be handed down this law from a man who is operating on his own like set of standards or like he just gives out rules on a whim. Lord, thank you that I am going to hear the law of God. I'm going to hear the word this morning, and it is the word alone that has the authority on my life. If you like that, woo, we can thank the Protestant Reformation, men and women who have given their lives. What about... If you treasure the fact, maybe you've experienced a a loved one that have have lost their lives recently, or you've been thinking about death, right? Um, And you have treasured it because like you've come to Christ, you've treasured this fact that when I die, I'm not going to go into this holding ground that might be for a thousand years, might be for a million years called purgatory, where I'm going to have to pay for my sins and then be sprung. But thank you, Lord, that when I die because of Christ, I'm going to see him. If you treasure that doctrine, you can thank the men and women that have given their lives during the Protestant Reformation for those sort of doctrines to surface or flower and bloom. So let me tell you, and you know this, but those battlegrounds, um, those didn't come easy. Um, Just like we enjoy our freedoms in this country uh, from the men and women who gave their lives in the wars, 
our theological freedoms, they, they came, many of them, from the Protestant Reformation. Uh, my grandpa... Um, my grandpa was at the beaches of Normandy. He served um, the United States um, as a medic, and he was there. He didn't talk much about it, and so therefore I've, I've read about it. I've seen movies and talked to, talked to folks about what it was like. Um, I've, I've read that the, the, the first wave of Normandy um, was, was men who came on boats and as, as soon as the gate came down, they couldn't even make it to the beach before they lost their lives. It was the, the first wave of soldiers. And the, the second wave of soldiers, because of the first wave, really made it to the beach. But they, they, they too lost their lives and many, many were, were gunned down on the beach. Um, but it was the third wave, because of the first and the second, that came and they were allowed and, and maintained and stood their ground on the beach, which allowed us to take that beach. And I, I, I was thinking of that with, as it relates to the Protestant Reformation. It was, it was kind of like that. The first wave was a guy named uh, Wycliffe who gave his life for the Lord and, and gained some ground in the, in the theological battleground. The next guy was a guy named Huss, H-U-S-S, who was killed as well. But the third, the third wave, Luther, he made it to the beach and he stood his ground. And we are reaping some of those wonderful sacrifices. We said a few weeks ago, but once Luther heard about those indulgences that the Catholic Church was selling... He nailed the 95 Theses to the door of Wittenberg, the church there. And uh, shortly after, um, there, there was thousands and thousands of copies made of that document and spread all throughout the land. Someone from the Catholic Church had to respond to it because everyone was reading it. And here's how the exchange basically went. There was this guy named Heck was, I'm sorry, Eck was, was chosen to respond. And basically, he wrote a letter back to Luther, right? And uh, it, in, in like grossly oversimplistic terms, basically said this, hey, um, quiet you. <laughs> and Luther was like, well, I, I'm a minister of the gospel. And just like a doctor, how they take that Hippocratic oath and they, they swear to to do no damage, but also like in a lawyer's type of situation, they put their hand on the Bible and they say, I swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. So, and so Luther's like, I've, got, I've just got to tell the truth. I'm not trying to like cause damage or I'm not trying to start my own like denomination or anything. I'm just trying to uphold the scriptures and I see it falling apart. And so X says, well, um, everything that you wrote, the Pope doesn't really agree with that. And Luther said, yeah, but the Bible does. And well, after that, that didn't really go so well. That wasn't really received so warmly or kindly. Luther was threatened with his life. And this is when uh, he said one of his most famous quotes. I'm sure you've heard the end of it, but let me just read it for you, okay? It says, every man must do two things alone. Listen to the fortitude on this guy. He must do his own believing and his own dying. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience 
is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other, so help me, God. Do you recognize that last part? The here I stand part. And so, what happened? Did he, did, he, did he get gunned down after the first, second, and third wave? Did he hold his ground on the beaches of Normandy? Actually, there was a duke that kidnapped him after that and took him to a castle in Germany for two years. And God used these two years to do amazing things. Luther, in this cold castle with his funny-looking hat on, if you've ever seen a picture of him, translated the Bible into German, the common vernacular of the country of Germany. Get that, right? And after three years, three big things happened, okay? He kind of poked his head out, checked out the terrain, went into a church and said, hey, I think we need to make some changes. Here's the first change. He opened the Bible in German and started preaching from it. He started explaining the Bible to God's people. Isn't that amazing? That was like one of the firsts that people like, said they were just hungry for it. They wanted it. They're like, we've never heard this stuff before. It's just been handed down and it's always been in Latin and we don't even know Latin. And so now we're hearing from God himself. So, so preaching began to happen. It was beautiful. Next, he brought out the table, the communion table. He took it from behind him, which was from the Roman Catholic Church, and he put it for the people. And it was a symbol, two symbols. The first was, I as the priest am no longer the mediator between God and God's people. You don't have to go through me. People, come, you have Christ. Partake, remember, and celebrate of the bread and the cup. But he also, he took it from center stage and he put it subsequent or submissive to the pulpit, the Bible. And he said, you know what? This is our final authority and the church can't tell us what to do with, the, with its dogma. And so whatever this says, this comes below it. That wasn't a, a message to say that's not important, but it was to say that, that furniture is important. And we're going to honor this first. We're going to honor God's word. The next thing that they did, and you're going to really love this one as well, is that they opened up the service of God for the people of God to sing. You like that one? I know. Before it was like, it was like, what is he saying? Well, what they were doing is they were trying to in, 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 a, in sort of melodic fashion, Gregorian chant, to somehow raise the congregation up to God without allowing them to sing to God. And he said, let's not do that anymore. Like, we just, we've just read Psalm 96. It says, sing to the Lord. Let's do that, church. And for the first time, the church opened up their mouths and their heart, sang with joy in German good songs unto the Lord. Some of the tunes were taken from the bars. If you've read anything about a mighty fortress is our God, Luther wrote that one for the church. 
But all of it was so fresh and wonderful for the church. And as a result, after those two years of of hiding and now opening up God's word and allowing it to work in the church, it was like he took a rock, threw it in a pond, and there was ripple effects all throughout Germany and all throughout Europe. It's recorded by historians that if you are walking throughout the fields or walking throughout the towns, that every farmer boy who was plowing his fields would have a little pamphlet written by Luther about the gospel. If you were on the street and you looked in in certain houses and doorways, that you would see a maiden, a mother, reading what Luther wrote about the scriptures. Everyone was was reading the gospel for the first time in a long time. The Catholic Church heard about all these uh, pamphlet dis- distributions, and they sent out this massive word, and they said, hold on, a boar is loose in the church, a wild boar, Luther, right? Um, now, I don't know if you know this, but boars aren't necessarily welcome in um, the home Um, in yards, things like that. We lived 11 years in Texas. Nobody likes wild boar there. Everyone can hunt wild boar anytime they want. So you wake up in the middle of the night, you get your big old guns in Texas, and you shoot down boar. And there's like so many wild pigs out there. They've got these big husks, and they tear up the ground. They just cause so much damage. Roman Catholic Church, Luther's causing damage. Was he causing damage? He was causing a ripple effect. He was causing a reformation, a returning back to what the gospel was. A guy named Zwingli, he became a Christian as a result of hearing the gospel. He, 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 he read the scriptures. He, he told his two friends about it. His two friends became Christians. Guess what they did? They started reading the Bible together in their homes. And all of a sudden, Homes were, were, were like being restored again. Once again, people were using homes for ministry. It didn't have to happen within the walls of the, of the church, but people were having home Bible studies. People were coming to Christ left and right. People were getting saved because they were reading the scriptures and they were seeing that you must be born again. You don't have to just be born in the church. You must be reborn spiritually and then they were reading the scriptures and they saw i think we need to get baptized how about we get baptized let's be obedient unto the lord and so in january um during this time the first adult baptism took place in a whole long time it was in switzerland switzerland in 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 january okay pretty cold okay but they love the lord and they're like we got to do this and so they dug this hole into the ice and the first guy that named that got baptized was george blarock i hope i said that name right right up to then absolutely unheard of for adult baptisms they lowered him in i'm sure he experienced a little bit of coldness but I'm sure he experienced a whole lot of joy. The guy who hosted it that that day, his name was Felix Muntz. He owned that lake or pond, supposedly. A year later, Catholic Church hunted him down and said, you like water? They took him out to a river and they held him under. And because he was hosting that baptism, he gave his life for the Lord. 
that day. People reading the Bible all over the place. They were hearing from God. And the Christian life was just opening up for them like a flower blooms. And so today, in essence, we're going to take that sola bouquet and we're going to pick this beautiful flower out of it called Christ alone. This is one of the cries of the Reformation, sola Christus. That's our title today, Christ Alone. If you're taking notes, write that on the top of the page. We're going to go for it. Are you ready? So have you heard that federal agents uh, don't, um, they don't learn to spot counterfeit money by studying counterfeit money? Have you heard that? They learn to spot counterfeit money by, by studying the original and that way, when they see bogus money, they go, oh, that's easy. That's easy to spot. I've learned what is genuine. That's how they train federal agents. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to I give you a glimpse of the book of Hebrews, chapter 9 and 10. Okay? And I want to show you the original so that you can be able to spot counterfeit. So we're going we're to show you what is there, what, what God says and then we're going to show you what they heard back then. And we're going to be able to spot counterfeit when it happens, okay? There's three points today. I'm going to read all of them for you to just to prepare you where we're going. Number one, Christ alone secured eternal redemption. Christ alone secured eternal redemption. Number two, Christ alone was the sacrifice for sins. And number three, Christ alone was our high priest. We'll go slower. I'll give you each, each as we go along um, with the corresponding verses. But let's go ahead and start with point number one. Christ alone secured eternal redemption. If you're in Hebrews chapter 9, meet me in verse 12. This is an awesome verse. Hebrews 9, 12. He entered, this is Christ. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Hebrews 9.12. Okay, so this is how it worked way back when in the Old Testament, okay? The priests, they would bring the sacrifice, either a dove or a goat or, a, you know, a calf or whatever. They would bring to the sacrifice in the, temple, in the temple, past the Holy of Holies, to the mercy seat, the Ark of Covenant, on the altar, and pour out the blood, smoke would rise up, God would be satisfied for the forgiveness of sins, and the requirements would be fulfilled. God's wrath would be, would be withheld from His people. That would happen once a year. It was called Yom Kippur. You walk right out of there, with a little bit of relief, but also a little bit of fear, like, I just hope I don't sin soon, so that this feeling of freedom could last a little bit longer. The Jewish calendar is 30, 360 days, and so if you sin that day, you just got to wait 359 more days till the next sacrifice. That was the system. Now, Hebrews 9.12 is saying, Jesus, who is the priest, also brings himself. He's not just the priest, but he brings his own blood to the altar, which was the cross, 
and was our offering for sin. So Jesus, when he died, the curtain of the temple, you know this story, was, was torn from top to bottom so as to symbolize this is a work of God. No one could reach that high. God himself tore it. It wasn't torn from the bottom. God was opening up the Holy of Holies, the heavenlies, so that we could have access to God himself in his presence through Jesus Christ alone. Look at this phrase with me. Let your eyes go to securing an eternal redemption in Hebrews 9, 12. You can underline that if you want. That's securing word. The original word is, is, is picturesque. It talks about after searching for something to find what is sought, <laughs> right? So if you're looking for something, you're looking hard, you find it. Um, if you've been in my home, if you know me, if you don't know me that well, this might surprise you, but I actually can't find things very well in our house, okay? My daughters are laughing, especially in the refrigerator and the pantry. My wife knows this well. I get hungry. I'm like, babe, what do you recommend for a snack? And she's like, we could try this or this or this. I'm like, those sound amazing. Where are those? Because I open up the fridge and all I see is what is eye level. Wives, can you identify with that? Yeah. Uh, us husbands, we're weird sometimes. I'm roping all of you guys in with me. I, I don't know if you just caught that. But um, yeah, like, like my wife, she knows if she puts the healthy things on eye level, then I'll eat it. And so like in our pantry, if you come to our house, there's like this jar of mixed nuts. And like, I just, that's my go-to for snacks around two o'clock every day. I'm just having these like mixed nuts, almonds, cashews, things like that. Why? That's what I can see. I'm not a great searcher outer, if that's an, a word, okay? Uh, I'm saying this because our Lord is nothing like your pastor when it comes to finding things in the pantry, right? I love the scripture where it says, for he, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, enduring the suffering, enduring the pain. Our Lord, our Savior Christ, he sought you and bought you. He purchased you because he loves you, brought you to himself. And we just sang it, but you are his. He found you. And it's a beautiful thing. He, that's what it, it's talking about. It's a secure thing. That is forever security. Out of the slave market that you were in. That you were wallowing in. That you loved. That he purchased you out of there. And brought you to the house of God. To be a family with him. And he has prepared a place for you. This is the kind of stuff that's like a balm to your skin as you study it. This was the genuine stuff that, that Germany, for the first time, the church, as they opened the Bible and they read it, they're like, this, this is true. This spirit is, is like resonating with our spirit. This is what we wanted to hear. And now they were able to identify counterfeit. They marveled and they, they cherished at things from Hebrews 9. And then when they heard other things, it was like pepper spray to their eyes. They just couldn't handle it. They're like, no, that's so, that's just the antithesis of what we see here. 
Men like Thomas Aquinas, they, they, they read it, they heard it, and they were like, listen to this, ready? Christ's passion, or his sufferings, okay? Christ's passion works its effect in them whom it is applied through faith and charity and the sacraments of faith. So the sacraments were viewed as a necessity for salvation. So in baptism and in the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, they call it, Christ's work would be applied, or they would use the word infuses grace into us that eradicates both the sin and the corruption of original sin. What? I, what? what no, Mike, what? They're saying something external besides Christ can come in and infuse inside you to forgive your sin and to remove your brokenness. Do you hear it? It should be like pepper spray to your eyes. Ah, no! So friends, for us, we're going to say, nah, that's counterfeit. It's Christ alone. Amen? And not Christ alone with a heart of like, no, we're right, you're wrong. But Christ alone by cherishing Christ alone. This is not just, just some like historical victory that we should go, ah, this trophy, yes, let's put it on the shelf and let's allow dust to like settle on it and we can just look at it sometimes. Friends, since Christ secured your salvation, and just to ride on the word secured, this should speak to our insecurities. Christ alone sought you, he bought you, and he will keep you. And so if you are feeling at all insecure, insecure about your salvation, insecure about your situation, remember Christ alone can comfort you and Christ alone can carry you. Amen? Let's go to point number two. Christ alone was the sacrifice for sins. Him alone. Let's start in verses 24 of chapter 9, okay? For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Verse 25, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice himself. All right, so let's just study this for a moment. Do you see the emphasis that the writer of Hebrews is putting on um, time? He's talking about once and for all and this idea of repeatedly, repeatedly. Look at verse 25 again. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, underline repeatedly, unlike the Old Testament where the priest would enter in every year, but, and look at verse 26 again, for then he would have to suffer repeatedly. He's saying, uh-uh, that's, that's not how it works anymore. So let's not do that anymore. Let's not believe like that about our Lord and about our sin. 
But as it is, his conclusion is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And we say, ah, there's the balm on my skin I've been looking for. That's the genuine article. That's not counterfeit. That's the real stuff. I'm going to study that. I'm going to study that. I'm going to delight in it. I'm going to, wait, what? What it? What do, what, I'm hearing something else. Like during this time, this is strange. Let me read to you the counterfeit that at that time was declared by the Pope and still is. Mass, then, this is dogma. Mass is the continuation of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at Calvary, which carries on the work of redemption appeases the wrath of God and atones for the sins of the living and the dead. And so we should, we should we, that again should be like an, a, a moment of recognition of counterfeit where you should go, this flies in the face of everything that I know and believe in. This flies in the face of Jesus' own words when he was on the cross. Right before he gave up his spirit, he said, it is finished. It's finished. But at that time, the faithful were hearing differently. This is what they were hearing. No, it's not. It's not finished. You have to do this in order for it to be continued. That word finished is the, is the Greek word tetelestai. Matthew, or sorry, John 19 30. To telestai is just this great word that includes all of these tenses. It's in the perfect tense. And so it includes past so that so it is finished. Your sins are forgiven of the past. It has this, this, this semantic force that anything that is ongoing or current or right now, it is going to be forgiven. So all sins that are happening on the cross of Christ, even, even those who are looking upon, those sins are forgiven right now. And it has future effects. And so Tetelestai is past and it's present and your sins will be forgiven. And that's just not a nicety that we experience. How can I know? If, if it's not future, this should totally rattle your cage. How can I know that my future sins are forgiven? Hey, church, forgiveness is a total package. If you ask for the forgiveness of sins, God grants it through his son, Jesus Christ, completely. He doesn't forgive partially. He forgives wholly. If our future sins are not forgiven, two things. When we sin in the future we will revert to an unforgiven state. Meaning, we'll lose our salvation. And we've got to be saved again. And that's the function of the Eucharist in the Catholic Church. You must be justified again because the Mass is an ongoing thing. And number two, Christ must die again to cover the sins we've committed since last death. This is why the bread and the Blood must be the literal body, the literal body and blood of Christ in the Roman Catholic Church, because it must be broken and poured out again. 
But no, we are kept by God in our salvation, friends. This should be wonderful and good news. Our salvation is secure because Christ died once and for all. Historically, what was happening, the guy who became a Christian, Zwingli, became a really, really prominent theologian. This is what he wrote. Um, he wrote 67 articles. I won't read all of them this morning to you. Just one, okay? This is article 18, that Christ, having sacrificed himself one, is to eternity a certain and valid sacrifice for the sins of all the faithful. Wherefrom it follows that the mass in not a sacrifice, but in the remembrance of the sacrifice and the assurance of salvation, which Christ has given us. So how does that impact our lives today? Um, if you at all, friends, are prone to live still under the guilt of your sin, if you're prone to shame, if you're still holding on to sins that you did pre-Christ before you were a Christian, or sins that you did uh, you know, in the past where you were a Christian, you've already repented of them. You've already received forgiveness, but you're still holding on to them. You're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. I'm such an idiot. You don't need to do that anymore. And when you are doing that, you're not trusting in Christ's death once and for all. You're putting him back on that cross. And you're saying, just keep on suffering a little bit more because I'm not receiving it. And so friends, you are not under any condemnation anymore. If you are in Christ, you've been forgiven and you're free. And you can live like that now. So, you got any sins you're still holding on to that Christ isn't holding on to anymore? That he's, been, he's forgiven? If so, go back to the Lord and say, Lord, I already repented of that. Forgive me for not living like I've repented. Would you help me to walk in forgiveness? Third and final point. Christ alone is our high priest. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. I'll read it for us. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. All right, this is great news. This is, this is God's word telling you that as a result of Jesus, as a result of coming to him and receiving forgiveness of sins, guess what? You can draw near to God now. Isn't that awesome? You have access to the living God because you've been cleaned by Christ. But wait. I was told, no, 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 this is the genuine article. This is what we, I was told that you have to go to a confession. And you have to confess to the priest. And only through a qualified, certified, stamped by Rome priest, then can you for, receive forgiveness of sins. And I was told that Mary is the sinless co-redeemer 
and that she is my advocate also with Christ for my salvation. That's what I was told. This is worth the protest, Protestants, that Christ is the only mediator between God and us. That's worth taking a bullet for. I love this hymn. Let me read it for you. The old-fashioned title is called The Advocate by Charity Bancroft. The newer title is just called Before the Throne of God Above. Listen to this and just cherish Jesus for a second. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. What's the plea? A great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. And I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. And a great hymn. I love that. Before the throne of God above. Those are our three points. As you think about this Sunday, as you think about Hebrews 9 and 10, as you think about the doctrine and the declaration of in Christ alone, honestly, as I was praying through this um, and, and trying to anticipate how you might feel, how you might feel is, it might be, it, it's, it might be a little scary to only hold up one thing, and that's Christ. Because when you do that, it, when you emphasize alone, you're essentially taking away your option B and C and D and F all the way to Z, right? You're like, like you don't have any backup. And so maybe the soul, the heart is thinking, ooh, this is a little scary parentheses. Is Jesus big enough? Is he sufficient? Can he do this? Any C.S. Lewis lovers in here? Prince Caspian captures this wonderful exchange between Lucy and Aslan, the lion, the, 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 the God picture, Godhead. Um, here's how it goes. Ready? So Lucy's lying in between Aslan's two front paws. She's looking up at him in this just like glowing adoration. And she says, uh, uh, Aslan says, welcome child. How's that for Aslan voice? Welcome, child. <laughs> Welcome. And as uh, she says, Aslan, you're bigger. And he says, well, that is because you are older, little one. And Lucy asks, well, not because you are? And listen to his answer. He says, I'm not. But every year you grow, you find me bigger. And I think he captured something that as you hold up Christ alone, as you behold Jesus in your life, he becomes more precious to you. In essence, he becomes bigger to you. And as we've seen today, that he alone secured your salvation, that he alone was the sacrifice for sins, he alone was the high priest, my prayer has been that he would become more precious to you. 
that like Lucy, it would be like he becomes bigger and bigger and bigger as you behold him. And so here's our call for an individual, for all of our lives, for our church, that Christ alone would be our counsel to others, that Christ alone would be used in our discipleship to others, that Christ alone would would just occupy our prayers, and that Christ alone would be all in our cry to the world and our evangelism as we go out. So let me pray, and we'll close our time in singing, and we'll give God all the glory and honor today, and the next Sunday, we'll wrap up our Sola series with To God Alone Be the Glory. And so, Father, we recognize your son, Jesus, and his great work. And it is so meaningful for us. We do recognize that we are forgetful people, and we have forgotten his great, uh, his great work. We, we forget how it applies to us all the time. And, Lord, we do. We get insecure. We get fretful, nervous. And we just come back to the truth, to the original, and celebrate the gospel this morning. So, Lord, would you strengthen your church through Christ alone? And I pray that um, as we go from here, we're with our families, and on Monday when we're back at our schools and back at our jobs and um, back at, at whatever you've called us to, Lord, that Christ alone would be our hope in life and in death. Help us to look to you. Church, if there's anything that the Lord has done in your heart this Sunday, if he's moved in any manner, if he's brought to mind the areas that you need to grow, sin that you need to repent of, um, just um, prayer that you need to um, lean on another. We just welcome you to take this time um, to pause, to not um, take this time too fast. So respond to God's word through song, but also respond to him in prayer for yourself, for others. Don't be afraid to ask, hey, hey, this is what the Lord did in my heart. Would you pray for me? Now, I need some help here. And that's what the church is for. It's a it's a lighthouse for the gospel. It's also a hospital for the hurt. Let's take some time.